I invite you to open up in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants, as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you've obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Now it came to pass, after these things, that it was told Abraham, saying, 
Indeed, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Huz, his firstborn, Buzz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hatso, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begot Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. His concubine, whose name was Uma, also bore Teba, Gehum, Tahash, and Meacah. This is the writ in the inerrant word of God. Let us pray. O Lord our God, open us to the tests of faith which shall come to all who are aligned with you in your glory. Give us grace to see those tests and to trust you through them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Three times over in this historical account, Abraham demonstrates that he is listening and listening intently so as to declare, here I am. It became a matter of life and death in that third declaration when he said, here I am. As that moment was the moment when Abraham had taken the knife to slay his son. He had demonstrated through active obedience his willingness to have such a faith in God that he was willing to obey a command which must have been very offensive to him and difficult to him to actually lay hands on a knife and be about to kill his own son in a sacrifice. Abraham had listening ears and an attentive heart toward Almighty God he replied, here I am. And he caught his breath and he stopped what he was doing. And he listened to the reprieve. Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. It's like that telephone in the execution chamber where there's a hotline between the warden of the prison and the governor of a state. It's important for the warden to listen when that phone rings, so that if he picks up the phone and hears the governor declare a reprieve, he can stop the execution. The phone is ringing for us also this morning as we read Mark and meditate upon God's word and hear it declared in a sermon. We trust in the Holy Spirit to give us ears to hear, to listen, to say before God, here I am, I'm listening to you. I'm listening to what you have to say to me. It's important for us to regard every worship service as a divine appointment when the Lord meets with his family, the church, and then speaks to us personally, individually, as part of that crowd. Yes, I want to ask you, are you ready to say this morning, here I am, with bated breath? Are you ready to listen as Isaiah replied to the Lord in chapter 6 of Isaiah when the question was asked, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah replied, here I am, send me. It's that I, thou moment when the Lord speaks to us. It's intimacy with the sovereign God. 
It's just as intimate here as when you're in your home. And it has the added benefit of having the corporate worship experience surrounding us and the accountability of church leaders who are seeking faithfully to bring God's word to you. Are you ready to listen and say, here I am? Those three acts of stating his readiness to listen provide the divisions for our sermon. Verses 1 through 6, when Abraham hears God's command and acts upon it. Verses 7 through 10, when Abraham hears his son and believes the Lord will provide as his son has asked him a question, Isaac. And then in verses 11 through 24, Abraham hears the angel of the Lord and is blessed. So let's consider first verses 1 through 6. Abraham hears God's command and acts upon it. Note with me the instant obedience of Abraham in verse 3. No sooner that he had heard God's command did he act upon it. We read in verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. He rose and he came forth in obedience to the command, no matter how it had disturbed him the night before. Back in chapter 21, if you read there in verse 14, we see a, a similar rising early of Abraham. The Lord had just told Abraham that he should go ahead and cast out Ishmael and cast out Ishmael's mother as Sarah desired. Abraham was told that it was through Sarah that a child would be born, and it was in Isaac that your seed should be called. And so, immediately in verse 14, Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar and sent them off. Obedience is difficult in any situation when it runs contrary to your own wishes. Abraham didn't want to send his son away. Abraham thought of his son dearly. And it says here in verse 11 that this matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight when Sarah said, kick them out. But he had instant obedience when God commanded it. And when we obey immediately in our daily life, even when things are commanded to us that go contrary to our own personal wishes, we are saying that the Lord is first in our life, that the Lord is glorified, that the Lord is sovereign, and I will heed him. We're not going to be philosophizing about the fairness of God. We're not going to raise excuses about the justice of the situation. Just think of all those other people and what they're doing, and here you're asking me to do this. No, I will obey. And at that earliest possible opportunity in Abraham's case, he rose early in the morning. And see the deliberate character here of that verse. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the, wood off, for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. As Dale Ralph Davis points out, the detail heightens the methodical way the deliberate way in which Abraham proceeds in obeying his Lord. Start small, 
just start getting the donkey ready. And then, as time goes on, step by step, walk into obedience of your Lord. This obedience is Abraham's first indication that he was rising to the test. He had felt the test, and he was going to obey it in faith. A key aspect of this test is that he had no idea he was going to be tested that day. It could be that the month of March will bring you the greatest test of your faith that you have ever experienced. Little did Job know when he was tested in the first chapter, Satan says, let me take a smack at him and see if he still fears you. And the Lord allowed him to do that and said, just don't take his life. You can mess with the rest of his life. There's all kinds of hardship you can bring in there, sickness and storms and disasters. But don't touch him. He will stand firm. I am sure of it. I want to ask you, when you're tested, will you reply with faith, even if it's a surprise? Will you reply with faith, even when it's not clear why this is happening? Davis again says, when God is not clear, when you are not sure why, go on walking in the darkness by faith and obedience until he brings the light. When a submarine commander named Commander Scott Waddell ordered an emergency main ballast blow for his submarine, when a submarine pops to the surface at high speed and cannot be slowed down once that blow happens, that huge sub, the United States ship Greenville in 2001, rose to the surface, striking a Japanese fishery high school training ship, the Hahim Maru, sinking it and killing nine people. As we consider the aftermath of that, he faced the greatest test of his faith in Christ that he could imagine. But did he wake up that day expecting that test? No. In the end, he passed the test of faith, kept his faith in Christ, and did the right thing, as his autobiography is titled, accepting full responsibility for the terrible accident, and was relieved of his position in the Navy, resigning from that service accepted the responsibility personally for the deaths and went to Japan to apologize to the families. In my view, he passed the test of his faith. You and I don't know when the test of our faith will come. A second key aspect of the Lord's test of Abraham's faith, and this is related to Davis's statement, when the Lord is not clear, when God is not clear, how is it? that Abraham is called to sacrifice the very son who is meant to be the fulfillment of the covenant promises. That seemed contradictory. How can that be clear in Abraham's mind? What is he to do? In chapter 12, verse 2, God had promised Abraham to make him a great nation. In chapter 17, verse 19, he clarified that it was not meant to be through Ishmael. Instead, no, Sarah, 17.9, Sarah, your wife, 
shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. After the long-awaited birth of Isaac, a birth for which Abraham and Sarah had waited a quarter century, we read then in chapter 21, 12, in Isaac your seed shall be called. But now, out of the blue, it would appear, the Lord was commanding Abraham to sacrifice that very same son of his. This one who was his only son. He had another son, Ishmael, but in the sense of being the fulfillment of covenant promise, he was his beloved son, his only son. This command would seem to be a contradiction to promise. What was Abraham's response? It was to trust God and to obey God. As we see in the quote found in your bulletin at the beginning of the call to worship, Thomas Watson writes, God is to be trusted when his providences seem to run contrary to his promises. The promises had been given. They had even been fulfilled. But here was the providence of a command. Yet we are to trust God. Abraham had trusted God before. As we see in 12.1, the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And he went. He got out of the Fertile Crescent and went to Canaan. And that same verb, get out, is used in 22 verse 1. It's the word halak. Go to the land of Moriah. Go. And that is a similar command of movement. Here, this is a much more difficult going. Before, when he got out of his home country, at least his bride came along. Now he is getting out to go to Moriah, and he is called to sacrifice your son. Now in 2023, if you're about to tell me that God is telling you to sacrifice your son, I'd be more likely to get you medical help rather than take that as a serious claim of faith. You see, this dramatic call to believe by sacrificing was associated with a leading figure of the faith who had direct revelation given to him on numerous occasions. We as individual believers are not in the same position. We get God's word from his written word, the Bible, as the Holy Spirit illumines it to us. So we are not in this same place of being called to do something radical like a child sacrifice. We don't face Abraham's particular trial, but we do face his generic trial. Times when God's way, ways seem to contradict the assurances of his word. Times when we can't really understand, when it's not clear to us why or how we should do this. We may even be in that time when our Daily life is making us question our faith. Is it true that you, God, are our refuge and strength in times of trouble? Then how is it that you've led us into this difficult situation? Even Jesus, when he was interacting with his friends whom he loved, Martha and his sister and Lazarus, and that he waited two days before he went 
when he heard Lazarus was sick. And in that time, Lazarus died. Well, it's clear in Jesus' teaching there that the purpose of that was to bring glory to God, that Jesus could demonstrate he was the eternal Son of God and that he had power to save and power to, to even bring back from the dead Lazarus. But we don't always see the glory so clearly in our trials and the grief we go through. And we may feel as if we're cast into the darkness. At moments like this, Davis's words ring true. Go on walking in the darkness by faith and obedience until he brings the light. And this is what Abraham believed God would do. When Abraham saw the mountain at the distance, which was Mount Moriah, this mountain which would become Jerusalem, where the temple was built, Abraham said to his young men, verse 5, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. We will come back to you. Hearing of God's command, it led him to progress step and step with obedience toward what God had commanded. And he had a vision of worship, his purpose. And he had a confidence that we would come back. That meant him and Isaac. He believed that they would be restored together to come back to those servants. You need to keep your purpose clear, which is worship of God. You need to keep your faith in God sound and resolute. That a great God can take a little faith that we have and do great things. Are we living first for the worship of God? Do we mean to always glorify him even in our daily life and in our corporate worship together on the Lord's day? Is that the purpose of our life? Is worship of God number one during your week? Will you make this service or our evening service, if you are providentially hindered through work or sickness from coming to the morning service, will this be the priority of your week? Come and worship the Lord. Come and praise his name and hear of the sacrifice of his son on the cross. Come and do everything 24-7 through the whole week to his name's honor <coughs> and glory. And we see that Abraham's response here is complete certainty about God with complete openness as to the detail. He is certain about God. He knows God will bless him. He just isn't sure of all the details. Unlike a man-centered religion that emphasizes God gets you or Jesus gets you or he gets us, which is what we heard in the Super Bowl advertisements, our focus should be not so much as God get us, but do we get God? Is the revelation from the Bible clear to us that we understand we are sinners in need of a Savior, we are called to trust in a holy, righteous God and that we are meant to trust him for our salvation and trust him in every situation in our life. We see in Hebrews chapter 11, 17, if you want to turn over there, Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, we see 
that the Lord gives faith to Abraham so that when he was tested in Hebrews eleven seventeen by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. The what here, able to raise him up, was what God was going to do. The how, I don't know if God, Abraham knew how that was going to happen. There hadn't been resurrections that I'm aware of before this in the Bible. And so faith means that we're absolutely certain about God and his love and his care and his character with an openness to God's method. And put that to work in your life this week as you face situa situations, even perhaps of contradiction, where you can't fit it all together in how your life is going, and believe that resurrection of new life in our soul is the way that God works to bring the life of Christ to sinful men and women and embrace the miracle that God regenerates hearts so that we believe and trust and be saved from sin and death Embrace that and leave the details of your earthly providence to your God. In verses 7 to 10, we hear that Abraham hears his son and believes that the Lord will provide. Following along from the trust in God that God would use his method to show himself faithful to his promises is the belief that God would provide a lamb for a burnt offering, a lamb which would be needed for the burnt offering that would be provided by the Lord. In verse 7, we see Abraham's attentiveness to his son Isaac. What was going through Isaac's head at this point? He was climbing up the mountain to make a sacrifice with no typical sacrifice in tow. They weren't carrying along or leading along a, a sheep that as they went up the mountain, Isaac would know that's the one that's going to be sacrificed. So he says, my father. And Abraham said, here I am, my son. Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And in verse 8 we read, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. God will provide. The literal word is Ra'ah, it means to see, and it has the implication of providing. It means the Lord sees. It's The Lord will see to it. When you have a problem, you sometimes look to an authority figure, and you say, what's going to happen here? And that authority figure, the father and the family, or the boss and the corporation says, I'll see to it. Don't worry yourself. Well, that's the implication here, that the Lord sees and the Lord is going to provide. One of my former students in Ukraine recently wrote about the war in which Putin wickedly sent Russian invaders to attack Ukraine. No Secretary of State of Russia. The war was not to be blamed on Ukraine. The blame is yours. And you wonder why, uh, why this happened. I believe I will never know this side of heaven, but I do know this, that the Christians I have personally taught and known in a classroom believe that God's purpose is clear. 
The Lord is near and he sees. I read that in a quote even this weekend. The Lord is near, he sees, which means he will provide. God's method is his own affair. It took Abraham and Isaac by surprise, and God's method will be also clear in the geopolitical uh, dynamics of war. And when we come to God and trust him, he will provide. It's not always a huge contradiction. It's not something that you see in the Bible that you're going to write home about. But God will provide for you personally in your daily life. On Friday, my wife had driven home the SUV from Queensbury after subbing there on Thursday. On Friday, she said, well, well, what car do you want me to take into corn? I said, ah, take the cruise. It's a lot of gas to go over there in the SUV. So she took the cruise. I backed out the SUV, and the power steering was totally out. I could barely turn the wheel. Serpentine belt was frayed. I drove without a serpentine belt whatsoever to O'Reilly's, picked up the part, took it to my mechanic, Ed, and he fixed it in two hours. It was a pretty easy thing to do. But what do you think if my wife had taken that car? What if the power steering had worked just far as enough as one of those windy roads going over the mountain to Corinth? I see God's hand. I see God providing. And I see God providing in larger issues. You may think, and as I thought, that, yeah, God wants me to have a wife. God wants me to raise a covenant family of children who will trust in Jesus. But none of the women on Long Island thought that about me. So basically, I trusted the Lord. I went to seminary, and God brought me a godly, believing, beautiful wife to marry that autumn. And so I want to say to you, there are contradictions we have sometimes. It seems like we know what God wants for us, and we believe that's what God wants for us. God never once told me, yeah, you're going to have a wife for sure. I'm not presumptuous like that, but on general terms from the Bible, I sensed that this was my calling in life, and yet there was a contradiction. Nobody would go out with me. And so basically, if you have that contradiction, you've got to trust God, and you've got to ask God for the kind of woman like Lois who would even say yes to a guy like me. And I'm saying to you, God will provide. He will provide for your ultimate need, which is forgiveness of sin and relationship to our creator and redeemer. And note what they did. Verse 6, it says in 22.6 here, and the two of them went together. And then in verse 8, so the two of them went together. We've been studying in the Sunday school about the Trinity and how the united will is part of the essence of God, that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, three persons, have a united will to go after the same thing, namely their own glory, and particularly the salvation of a people who will glorify them. And so we see these two went together, and the Father and the Son went together even to Calvary. And we know it is the Son that died, but we know that it is the Father who brought the Son to that cross. We understand in John 19, 17, that Jesus went out bearing his own cross. And we read in Genesis chapter 22, verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. The 
father laid that cross on his son Jesus Christ and they went together and planned that father planned that crucifixion and Jesus submitted himself to it it says in Isaiah 53 and even verse 10 it was the will he it says here in chapter 10 he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. It was the Father who led him to that cross. And not opening his own mouth, Jesus accepted that crucifixion. So I ask you today to come to that Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he is the Lamb which God has provided. Indeed, we understand here in this passage that God will provide. And Abraham pointed that out to his son. Yes, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering. And we come now to the climax of the story, verses 11 through 24. When Abraham had taken the knife to slay his son, Abraham hears the angel of the Lord and is blessed. Verses 11 to 24. Keep listening to the Lord as you walk through the crisis points of your life. For God is a God who delivers. He is a God who turns matters around when you least expected it. When we come to crisis moments, there are times when we can almost want to give up. There's times when we could even become clinically depressed. There's been times in my life where I wanted to go to bed I wanted to lay on my side with a pillow under this ear and a pillow over that ear with my eyes squeezed shut. I wanted no input. I didn't want input from people. I didn't want input from God. And when we face those stressful moments, we can withdraw to the fetal crouch. And we can cut out our loved ones. We can cut out our loving God. And we can cut out the church. Yes, we cut out the very church where we've been hearing God's word where there are loving people there for us in our life. There are some who stop going to worship services. They stop taking calls from the elders. I'll just do it my own way. And we can leave them behind. I want to encourage you at this time, when you may feel a connection to this church, that there might be in two years a time when you don't feel that connection. And I'm calling you to keep listening to God and to say here I am to God means to show up it means to show up at a service it means to say I will praise you though he slay me I will praise him and I want to encourage you today not to give yourself over to an attitude where you cut yourself from people and you cut yourself off from Christ and his church instead when God calls to you, say, here I am. And the angel of the Lord said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And here we see what Hebrews was talking about when figuratively Abraham received his son back from the dead for he was as good as dead in five seconds he would have been bleeding on that altar 
We also see here that there is no quarter to be given to those who would accuse the God of the Bible of child sacrifice. It was the Lord's intention always to deliver Isaac. And it was by faith that Abraham cooperated with that plan. And we see that Abraham fears God. That's another word for he believed in God. When you believe in God, you're going to have awe of God. He met the test. And we see here in verse 12, you have not withheld. The Hebrew word is chasak. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, that's translated a face so. To not withhold. He have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And interestingly, in the New Testament, in Romans 8, verse 32, it says, he who did not spare his own son. That word spare is that same Greek word, aphaso. He will not spare his own son, but deliver him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? So we see that God did not spare his son, but he gave him up for us all. And so the blessings pour forth upon us. We see Abraham was obedient to the call, and he allowed his son to live. And that son gave birth to the whole nation of Israel and all the Jews that led up to Jesus coming into the world. And the blessings poured forth, which you see in 22, verse 16 and 17, the blessings of of multiplying descendants and the blessings of the descendants possessing the gate of their enemies. So much of our trouble as Christians is we think the world is getting over on us, okay? We think the world has the advantage and we complain and we wonder, why is the world getting away with us? I want to know the day is coming when your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. You need to wait You need to trust God's vindication. Leave room for the vengeance of God. And realize, as it says in 14, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So Abraham saw a ram caught in the thicket in its horns. And he sacrificed that lamb as a substitute. And so Jesus is the one who is sacrificed as a substitute for our sin. In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Interestingly, it appears in 2 Corinthians chapter 30 that this place, 2 Chronicles, excuse me, 2 Chronicles 3 verse 1, that it's right in this Mount Moriah that Solomon built the house of the Lord. And so it's meant to To us, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. That's right in the vicinity of the Calvary where Jesus was crucified. He provided there. And I want to ask you today, in the seeming contradictions in your life, that you would review that not as an ultimate statement about your life, but a penultimate. It's the one step back from the ultimate evaluation of your life. Ultimately, God wins. God won at the resurrection, and he's in the mopping up process now. And we're living in the the wake of Good Friday, but Sunday is coming. 
We need to look at our weakness and consider the times when it appears that God's providences are running contrary to his promises. But consider that the story is not all told. And that might be one reason for this genealogy at the end here. We've got 12 children, 12 men who are born to Nahor. And in Abraham's family, there is just one child of the covenant, one son of promise. Look at the contrast. The, the church is old. How many people we got here? Uh, 45, maybe. It's a good week. We've got some visitors. It's great to have you here. But I want to let you know, we're small compared to the world, okay? And, and that little boy, Isaac, was small compared to the non-line of promise that was going through Abraham's brother. We see Rebecca mentioned in the genealogy, and she provided a, a wife for Isaac eventually. But the line of promise was through Isaac, and yet it appeared so small. Will you continue to trust with us as a church, as a small church, that we have a work to do in this community, that we have a people to reach, families to disciple, little ones to take care of? Will you simply in faith say to God, here I am. I am ready to follow your lead, obey your word, and even if I don't understand all the details, I will walk and obey in the dark until you bring me into the light. And this day, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you've never trusted in that substitute, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, come to him this day. Hear his call. He is calling you to come home. Sinner, come home. Will you come and say, here I am. I am a sinner who needs your grace, and I trust that Jesus died for me. The Lord is calling today. Hear him and declare, here I am, Lord. Save me. Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, let us trust you in those difficult times. And we come before you, even in this time, having heard your word, to come before you with our commitment to follow you, our commitment to trust you in difficult